book you'll turn in a copy of God's Word to Joshua 23. Uh, you'll find those uh, page numbers in your outline if you need them. Uh, Joshua 23. As you're doing so, I want to commend to you a resource that if you let me know you want one, I'll be glad to send to you. Uh, every, um, about every four months, our denomination puts out a booklet, and it has a chaplain in the military to pray for every day. And it uh, has their email address in case you would want to contact them. Uh, I have the electronic version. I can email you, uh, or you can, I can give you the number to call, and they'll send you a physical copy. It's a great way to pray for men and women, uh, or men, uh, male chaplains who are ministering to uh, our soldiers uh, here and around the world. Jo- Joshua 23 finds us a few chapters later than we were last, last week. We are continuing our survey of the end of Joshua. We'll soon be uh, focusing our attention on the book of Philippians. I would encourage you to, to read through the book of Philippians a few times before we get there. Before we read the, the Word of God, let me pray and ask the Lord's blessing upon it. Lord, so I pray that you would quiet in our hearts and our thoughts and our minds. And that you would, by your Spirit, prepare us to hear your word read and to hear the word preached. Lord, that you might anoint both the speaker and the hearer alike. That you might grow us in your grace and feed our faith. And calls our gaze to be squarely placed upon our Savior once again. It is in the name of our Redeemer we ask it. Amen. Joshua 23. Hear now the word of the Lord. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel its elders and heads, its judges and officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years. And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. For it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Behold, I have allotted to you as an inheritance for your tribes those nations that remain, along with all the nations that I have already cut off from the Jordan to the great sea in the west." The Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight. And you shall possess their land just as the Lord your God promised you. Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or serve them or bow down to them. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations, and as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you just as he promised you. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them so that you associate with them and they with you, Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they shall be a snare and a trap for you, a whip on your sides and a thorn in your eyes, until you perish from off this good ground that the Lord Lord your God has given you. And now I am about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. 
But just as the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you have been fulfilled for you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the evil things until he has destroyed you from off this good land that the Lord your God has given you, if you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down before them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you shall perish quickly off the good land that he has given you. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God, it will stand forever. Amen. Well, Joshua called the leaders, the representatives of Israel together. And he gave them the first of two farewell speeches. Uh, This one was to the representatives of Israel. And then in two weeks, after next week will be um, Mother's Day, and then next week we'll look at Joshua 24 when he speaks to all Israel. Here he's at Shiloh, then he'll be at Shechem. And he gives them a farewell speech. We don't know exactly how old he is here, but he is 110 when he dies. And so if this is near the end of his life, uh, he is probably close to that age. And it's been about 25 years since they've entered into the promised land. But Israel was at a crossroads. It was a nation at a crossroads. See, they had seen the Lord do amazing things up until this point. The Lord had driven out all the nations that they had gone up against. When they faithfully followed the Lord, the Lord fought for them tooth and nail every step of the way. And while the land was at rest, we read in verse 1, there's still tension in this text. Because it also says there are still those amongst Israel whom they had not driven out yet. They were a nation at crossroads. Their leader Joshua was about to die. And there wasn't an heir apparent. Moses appointed, anointed at God's command, Joshua to take over. But for some reason in God's providence and his good pleasure, he decided not to do that now. And so soon Israel would be without a singular strong leader. The question they faced was, would they follow the Lord wholeheartedly as a nation? And if they did, they would find blessing. And if they didn't, they would find cursing. Now, I hate to spoil it for you, but they don't follow the Lord. They last about a generation, generation and a half, two at the most. And we learn in Judges 1 and 2 that they indeed did indeed cling to other nations and to their gods. And as a result, we have the period of the Judges when everyone did what was right in his own eyes, which is never a good thing to say about any society. Well, Israel faced a time of crossroads. And even, I think, as one of our men prayed today, we too are at a crossroads in our culture, in our society. I feel it each coming year, and certainly as we entered into an election year, we are more and more at a time where the future of our nation stands in the balance, at least spiritually. Now, as we come to this text and others like it, we must remember that America is not the promised land. We are not Israel. And so there are principles here that may not apply to us, but there are plenty here that do. And when Joshua calls his people to himself, the representatives to him, he reminds them of their past. And then he charges them to always obey, love, and cling to the Lord in the future. And that's what I want to explore this morning as we think about this week of prayer for our nation. Well, when Joshua calls the representatives to himself, He reminds them of everything that they have seen. They don't have to read about in the history books. They had seen it firsthand. 
this generation had seen how the Lord had been faithful to them every step of the way. As we walk through the text, we see in verse 3 that he reminds them of all these great things he has done for them. He says, you yourselves have seen what has happened. They had seen the Lord dry up the Jordan. He had, they had seen the, the stones come down from the wall of Jericho. They had seen first the defeated Ai when they uh, abandoned the Lord, and then the great um, win, the great victory at Ai when they followed the Lord. They had seen the sun stand still. Who could ever forget that? They had seen the sun stand still and great hailstones come down from above and fall only on their enemies in the battle against the five Amorite kings. They had seen the victory at Hazor and the other smaller engagements. And so we see repeated here um, several times, they had seen that the Lord had fought for them. The Lord had made it very clear that He would fight for them, and He did. Every step of the way, He fought for His people. This would be important as they came to future battles. They would need to remember what had happened in the past. that The Lord had fought for them, and He promised to continue to fight for them. And then therefore, they would apply those promises to their present predicament. Verse 5 tells us that the great promises that God had made to His people, they had come true. God is faithful to His people. It should not have been a surprise that God had given them victory over their enemies because God is faithful to His promises. Verse 14, we read three times. I love verse 14. Um, and no, uh, no, it's not 14, is it? Uh, yeah, it is 14. And now I know that I am about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts, this is one time, and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things the Lord your God has promised concerning you. Number two, all have come to pass for you. Number three, not one of them has failed. I was talking to Spinks, our resident meteorologist here at First Presbyterian Church, and he was telling me of how you calculate percentage of precipitation. Now, I didn't follow most of it. I'm sorry. Uh, but the, the bits that I did understand uh, means that it's a lot harder than I ever thought it would be. But as we think about looking at a seven-day forecast, you know, the percentages will change. In fact, they changed overnight on my non-Red Zone weather app. I'm sorry. Uh, from change Monday, when I went to bed last night, it was like an 80% chance of rain, and this morning it was like a 40% chance of rain. Now, let me ask you something. When we think about God's faithfulness, do we think that today there's going to be a 95% chance that God's going to come through for us? Now, 95% is pretty high. Now, if I see, if I see it's going to be a 95% chance of rain, it's going to rain. It might as well be a 100% chance of rain that day. But then I look out at the rest of the week, and I see 40% and 30% and no percent. How do, you, do, you, do you have faith in the Lord that He's going to come through? That in the next seven days, next seven weeks, months, years, decades, centuries, that across that forecast is a 100% forecast that God is going to be faithful to His promises. This is what Joshua needed to remind his people about, and that's what we need to be reminded of as well. Verse 8 tells us that God had driven out before them all of those who stood before Him. Not one man was able to stand before them. Verse 9, one person, one man puts to flight a thousand. Verse 13, God had already given the land to the people. With a history like this, how could they doubt? How could they doubt that God would be with them? But when we think about our history, I'm not talking about our nation's history. There's much great national history of how the Lord has provided for us, how the Lord has fought for us, how the Lord has blessed us. 
When we think individually, how can we ever doubt that God will not be with us? See, I want to this morning not think about how we are to live as a nation corporately. I don't want to think big picture-wise and point out all the ills in our nation. I think we know those. I want us to explore the question, how am I to live? In a nation that is becoming less and less Christian, more and more post-Christian, what we call the post-modern world where, where all truth is relative, how am I to live? How are you to live? And the first thing we must do, we must remember our history. Because it is our history that tells us we are saved. God's election of His people before creation. God sending His Son to die and achieving our salvation for us on the hill of Golgotha. And upon our salvation, upon our conversion, when we were justified, declared righteous, forgiven of our sins, adopted as God's sons, this is our past. If you know Jesus, this is the defining moment of your past. And if God has given us His Son, how much more will He also not give us all things that we need? All things that we need. So as we think about our past, it redefines who we are. As we look at verse 3, at, at Joshua's um, opening words to his people, do you see how he refers to Yahweh, the Lord God? He says, the Lord, your God. Your God is possessive. They are defined not by the nations, not by their warfare, not by their culture, not by the things that are going well, not the things that are going poorly. They are defined by their relationship to the Lord, and so are we. And this means when we remember our identity, when we remember our past, what has happened to us if we're in Christ Jesus, that we are living in a foreign land. We're living in a foreign land. We don't belong here. The reason there's tension, the reason why we feel the the battle of the flesh against everything that we see in this world and what we know to be true is because we don't belong here. We find this throughout Scripture. We find it in Philippians 3, verse 20 through 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His, like His glorious body, by the power that enables Him to subject all things to Himself. Here is the King subjecting all things to Himself, and when He comes, He will receive His citizens, His subjects, with Him, and He will make all things new. We don't belong to this nation. Now, we may be Americans, we may be French, we may be Mexicans, we may be Chinese, we may be Kenyans, whatever, whatever, 167 countries, I think. We may be those as well, but we are primarily believers in Christ. And this means this transforms how we view this nation. It it goes to, it, it makes us expect there to be tension between what the Bible says and what our culture says. And as we see that gulf get wider and wider in our culture, it helps us have the right perspective. To be reminded that we don't belong here, we belong in heaven. 2 Peter 2, verses 11 through 12, puts it a little differently. It says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, flesh which war against your soul. We are sojourners, we are pilgrims, waiting and longing for our heavenly reward. Now, this doesn't mean we aren't involved in politics. This doesn't mean we aren't involved in the legal system and, and being an advocate for those who are being persecuted. It doesn't mean those things at all. It means we do those things, I think, in a greater amount, but with the right perspective. I remember um, I spent two summers overseas in England doing missions work in college. Now, the first summer was really hard. 
first time was really hard. I enjoyed it. But I went there expecting England to be like the South. <laughs> now, y'all picked up on it real quick. It took me a whole summer to figure that one out, that it's not true. They speak English there, by the way. And I was thinking, this is going to be just like America. And it took me a whole three months to figure out this sitting this in Alabama. Now, when I went back the second summer, I went back with the right perspective. I knew this wasn't home, so I was able to enjoy it. I was able to interact, knowing that my citizenship belongs somewhere else. And so it is for the believer in Christ. We are able to interact, to pray heartily, to work very diligently for the purity, for the peace, for the shalom, for the welfare, for the prosperity of our nation, and we ought to all the while having the right perspective that our citizenship is in heaven and we're living in a foreign land. So how do we live in a foreign land? Well, Joshua is going to have some words about conquering their foreign land, the foreign land that God had given them. It belonged to them. They hadn't taken complete complete, um, possession of it yet. And so he is going to uh, use three verbs to describe how they are to live um, in, the, in the promised land, and I think we can make application for us as well. Verse 6 and 7, we learn they are to obey the Lord. Therefore be very strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside uh, from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you, or make mention of the names of their gods, or swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. Joshua calls them to obey the Lord. We are called to obedience. See, Israel had to maintain its purity, maintain its identity, while they were living in a land that still had plenty of folks who were serving other gods. Now, there was much about their service of other gods that was attractive. Sexually, it was attractive. It was attractive, and they had kings and not a god whom they'd never laid eyes on. Uh, There was much glory in a human kingdom, and they were living in settled places already. They were much attractive to, to draw the Israelites away from God. But they were called to maintain their identity, maintain their purity as they obeyed the Lord, as they swerved neither to the left hand or to the right. In fact, these verbs that are used in verse 7 uh, are a um, it's progression. It gets worse and worse and worse. Um, you first see if they didn't, they would soon mix with the nations. Then they would make mention of their gods, and they would swear by these gods, and they would serve these gods, and they would bow down to their gods. The road to um, losing everything doesn't start with a big right-hand turn with a well-labeled sign. It starts by just veering just a degree or two to the left or to the right. As we think about what it means to live in a, in a nation that is becoming more and more post-Christian, obeying the Lord is, been, is going to become more and more important. It's no longer part of our culture to do so. It hadn't been for a long time, by the way. But we are called to obey the Lord and therefore maintain our purity, maintain our identity as God's people. For what is, what is salt worth? if it's lost its saltiness, nothing. It's just thrown on the ground and ground and trampled underfoot. We maintain that purity. We maintain that identity as we depend on the Lord who has fulfilled the law for us, has, who has obeyed the law for us. And we seek His help and His grace as we navigate the murky waters of, of what do you watch and what do you go see and to whom do you associate with. These are all tough things. 
and they're only going to come tougher. But we must start with the Word of God, just as Joshua told the Israelites. But more importantly, they are to cling to the Lord. We see this in verse 8. But you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. Um, this word cling is a rich word. In Isaiah 41 verse 7, it means to solder, to solder two things together. Uh, it's, it's a word of close association, of unbreakable bond. Uh, in, in Genesis chapter, um, is it 1? Genesis 2, 24, when we read of, of how they are to leave and cleave, to cleave together, that same word, to cling, to hold fast to a man and a woman, or to cling to each other. So this is the imagery of how we are to make it in a land that is becoming less and less Christian, by clinging to the Lord. How will we ever obey the Lord if we aren't clinging to Him? How will we ever walk in a manner that is worthy of our calling if we're not clinging to the Lord and to His love? We cling to a God who died, who sent His Son to die on the cross for us that we might have life. And as we think about what it means to cling to the Lord, we think we're clinging to the Lord, but in reality, He is clinging to us. We may be hanging on to His pinky, but He's holding us in His hand and He will never let us go because He has sent His Son to die for us. They are to love the Lord, verse 11. Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. Let me ask you something. Why is God worth loving? Have you ever thought about that? Why is God worth loving? We are commanded to. It's perhaps our highest calling to love, to glorify God. But why is God worth loving? Indeed, I find my love for Him waxes and wanes in my life as I love the things of this world more or less. But our God is worth loving because of many reasons, but perhaps the first and foremost is the redemption that we have in Jesus. See, we too were God's enemies. We learned that from Romans chapter 5. Just as the Israelites were called to go and, and destroy their enemies, to kill them all, what did our Savior do? Did He come and kill us? No. He came and He was killed on our account. He, was, he self-sacrificed Himself on the cross, the perfect Lamb of God, that we might have salvation. This is a God worth loving, that He would send His Son to die for people like me, people like you. We are called to love the Lord, and indeed, is as we love Him, we will cling to Him all the more, and we will obey Him because we will desire to please Him and to obey Him. The last thing that you won't find in this text, uh, but you will find it in 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 2, is to pray. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. What will change a culture? What will change a land? It's not politics, it's not slogans, it's not bumper stickers. These may all be good things, they are. The only thing that will change a land is the gospel. The only thing that will change a heart is the Lord working in it in a mighty and powerful way. And we have the power of prayer as we ask and seek the Lord to change the hearts, our hearts, and the hearts of the people of this land, that we might turn again to the Lord. 
And this is why I encourage you this Thursday to come and join us. Prayer is important. And it's the only thing that will change our land. Come and join us and take a time slot, a 30-minute time slot. Come and join us on the courthouse steps as we come together with our brothers and sisters in Christ and pray that the Lord would change our hearts, change our nations, our nation for His glory. Let's pray. Lord, help us to know how to live in a land, in any land, but especially in this one that is ever-changing. Lord, change our hearts. We pray for that first. Help us, O Lord, to love you and to obey you and to cling to you, all because of what Christ has done for us on the cross, that we might have redemption, that we might be declared righteous, that we might have forgiveness from our sins. Lord, I pray that this message of the gospel would grip our nation again and that we would see widespread revival across our land. Even as we pray, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Well, we will close our service as we stand and sing together verses 1, 3, and 5 of 349, Trust and Obey. Let's stand and sing.